Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sirah, and much more. Today, inshallah, our brother Ali Merchant, who is a member of Hizb al-Tahrir, will share with us some of the details about the governance of the Khilafah system. Tafadal Ali. Bismillahir Rahman Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. As-salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidil Anbiya wal Mursaleen. Rabbish rahli sadri wa yassirli amri wa hlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. Amma ba'd. Dear brothers and sisters, respected elders, and beloved youth, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We welcome you all to the Khilafah Conference of 2022, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you ajr for attending here as well as attending online, inshallah. To our non-Muslim audience, good afternoon and welcome. The brother has already quoted some of the evidences, the dalail from the Quran and the Sunnah that help us understand that this matter of Khilafah is one of the most important faraid, one of the most important obligations on the Muslim Ummah and on each and every one of us till it established and after it established. However, before we dive into the details of the Khilafah state, let us look at the comprehensive nature of the Deen of Islam, as it will also help us understand what role does the Khilafah state play in this. We all know that at the foundation of our Deen is the Aqeedah of Islam. The Aqeedah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Al-Khaliq, the Creator, He has sent down a message, this last and final message to all of humanity through the Messenger Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This message is what we are supposed to utilize to organize all of our individual as well as societal affairs of life. And on the Day of Judgment, once we are dead, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold us accountable whether we lived our lives according to this message or not. This is the Aqeedah of Islam. And this Aqeedah of Islam is the one that motivates us to live our lives according to His rules. This Aqeedah of Islam is the one that motivates all the Muslims around the world to work day and night to establish this deen in our lives. Now when we take this message, we can categorize the rules provided to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala into the various disciplines that are required to organize the affairs of life. For example, the social system, the economic system, the ruling system, 
the administrative structure, the judiciary, as well as the ibadat and the moral values. And one thing we need to keep in mind, that the ibadat and the moral values are the ones that help us make sure that we focus in every aspect of our lives, in everything we do, our focus is to earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and on the day of judgment, inshallah, gain Jannah. This is the comprehensive nature of the deen of Islam. Now let us take a deeper look in the ruling system of Khilafah. Inshallah, please note that Hizbut Tahrir has published many books, articles, has given many speeches on the subject of the Khilafah along with very detailed evidences from the Quran and the Sunnah of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We need to understand that these detailed evidences are very important for us to ensure that we are following the rules of Allah in every aspect of our life. This is where the connection with our Aqeedah comes in. And this is why it is important for us to ensure that we have the Dalil, the Dalil for every single rule from the wahi that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent to humanity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Hijr, فَوَرَبِّكَ لَنَسْأَلَنَّهُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ أَمَّا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ So by your Lord, we shall certainly call of them to account about what they used to do. Also as reported by Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, He who innovates something in this matter of ours, that is not of it, will have it rejected. So we have to ensure that all of the rules that are implemented are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, are from the ones that He has sent down to us. Zakallah khair. Our objective today is to give an overview of the system. Thus, we will not be able to cover the detailed evidences for all of them because it's a wide topic. However, you can visit our websites and download our books for free, inshallah, and be able to review all of these evidences. One such book that you may be able to refer to is Nidamul Hukam, the ruling system of Islam. Another one of them is the Ajiza Dawlat al-Khilafah, Fil Hukum wal Idara, or the institutions of the state of the Khilafah in ruling and administration, which is the English translation. Now let us get it started, inshallah. The institutions of the coming Khilafah state are derived from the institutions of the first Islamic state that Rasulullah established in Madinatul Munawwara. This is what we have to remember. And the Khulafai Rashidin, also who succeeded him, continued and carried on from this. The Khilafah state, it comprises of 13 main institutions. The Khalifa, the delegated assistants, the executive assistants, the governors, the Amir of Jihad and the Department of Military, the Department of Internal Security, the Department of Industry, the Department of Foreign Affairs, the government's administrative departments, the judiciary, the Department of Information or Media, and the Council of the Ummah. Let us start with the Khilafah, and we will spend, or the Khalifa, and we will spend some time talking about the different aspects of this position. 
The Khalifa is the man who represents the Ummah in the ruling authority and in the implementation of the Sharia. In Islam, the ruling belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to no one else. The authority belongs to the Ummah. The Ummah appoints an individual on her behalf to the Ummah appoints an individual to administer the authority and apply the Sharia on her behalf. No one can become the Khalifa unless the Ummah has given the pledge of allegiance, the bayah to him. Through this bayah, the Khilafah state is delegated to him, giving him the authority and obliging the Ummah to obey him. The man who rules the Muslims does not become a Khalifa unless the bayah is given to him by the influential people or the Ahlul Hal Wal Aqad from amongst the Ummah without compulsion. This is known as Bayatul Inaqad or the bayah of appointment after which the rest of the Ummah can give what is known as Bayatul Ta'ar or bayah of obedience. However, before an individual is given the bayah, they have to be nominated and selected. Based on the detailed evidences that we find from the process of selection of the Khulafai Rashidin, Ajmain, inshallah, in the coming Khilafah, once the position of the Khalifa becomes available due to either death or dismissal from office of the Khalifa, we will, have the, we will have to do the following. Number one, a provisional Amir will take the position till the bayah has been given to the Khalifa. Now this provisional Amir cannot adopt any new laws. And the reason for that is because he, the Ummah has not given him the bayah. Also the provisional Amir cannot be from one of the nominees for the position of the Khilafa. If the Khalifa that passes away, he has not appointed a provisional Amir, then the oldest of the delegated assistant becomes the provisional Amir. Number two, the work to appoint a Khalifa must be done day and night until the task is completed. And today it's been over a hundred years and we don't have the Khalifa. Number three, nominees have to be shortlisted to ensure that they fulfill the con contractual conditions, this will be conducted by the Court of Injust Acts or Makmatul Mathalim. Number four, nominees are then shortlisted first to number six and then number two by the Majlis al-Ummah. The provisional Amir's job will be concluded once the bayah has been given for the Khalifa. Now this is the process that will be carried out once the Khilafah has been established and a Khalifa passes away and the position opens up. However, in today's situation, when we do not have the Khilafah, the process is a little bit different. It is very simple. If any one of the Muslim lands today, any one of the Muslim lands gives the bayah, it first of all, it has to fulfill four conditions. And if they give the bayah, to a man who becomes the Khalifa, then it becomes obligatory on all of the Muslims all over the world to give this person the bayah, the bayah of Ta'a. Now these four conditions are very important because we, and we need to understand them very well 
because it has happened time and time again when unfortunately the hopes of the ummah have been raised and then put down again. The first condition is that the authority of the land must be in the hands of the Muslims, not in the hands of the Americans or the Europeans or the Russians, in the hands of the Muslims. The security of the Muslims in this land has to be guaranteed by Islam and only Islam, not to serve the objectives of the colonialist powers that are exist today. Number three, the implementation of Islam should take place with immediate effect in a comprehensive and radical manner, not some gradual thing that works on compromise. We don't work with half kufr and half Islam. It has to be complete Islam that is being implemented. And the Khalifa must be involved in the conveying of the Islamic da'wah, the convey carrying of the Islamic message. Number four, the Khalifa must fulfill all of the contractual conditions for his position. Now, any land that satisfies these four conditions, if they give the bayah of inakad to the bayah of appointment to, the, to, the, to a man, that man becomes the Khalifa. And it becomes obligatory, it becomes fard on all the Muslims around the world to give him the bayah of ta'a. And they cannot give bayah anymore to anyone else. Now, we have been talking about the contracting conditions as well as there are some preferred conditions. Let us look at them. According to the evidences we find from the Quran and Sunnah of Rasulullah we have seven contracting or mandatory conditions for the position. Number one, he has to be a Muslim. Number two, he has to be male. Number three, he has to be mature, meaning an adult. Number four, he has to be sane. Number five, he has to be just or adil. Or him being a mujtah. on one candidate over another. Let us turn our attention to the six categories of the mandatory powers that the Khalifa possesses. And these are important to understand because these actually explain what this position is responsible for. Number one, he adopts the Akama Sharia, necessary for managing the affairs of the Ummah, which have been deduced through a valid and a strong ijtihad from the Quran and Sunnah. Now these rules become binding laws on all of the people living in the Islamic Khilafah. Number two, he is responsible for the domestic and foreign policies of the state. Number three, he has the power to accept foreign ambassadors as well as to reject them and to appoint Muslim ambassadors to foreign nations or to remove them. He appoints and removes the the assistants as well as the governors, and they are all responsible to him as well as to the Majlis al-Ummah. He appoints and removes the chief judge as well as other judges, excluding the judge of Mahmoud al-Madhalim, where he appoints him but is restricted in regarding his dismissal. This is in the case if there is an existing case filed against the Khalifa or his assistants or the governors or the chief judge in the court of Mahmoud al-Madhalim, at that point, he cannot remove the judges of the Mahmoud al-Madhalim. 
He also appoints the directors as of the administrative departments, the army commanders, the chief of staffs, and the commander-in-chief. And they are all answerable to him and not to the Majlis al-Ummah. He is responsible for the state budget, which is built based on the ahkam sharia So this position of the Khilafah or the Khalifa is of a very high responsibility. And it is of a very high accountability in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And which should not be taken lightly. However, we should remember that this is a position that is to be filled by a human being from us humans. And we should remember that humans do make mistakes. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has informed us of, of such and he has actually provided instructions on what we should do in this case. The most important thing for us to remember is this, that we should each and every one of us should be ready to help the Khalifa, each one of us. This way, when he's implementing the ahkam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and if he makes a mistake, we are all there ready to help him to correct any errors so that the Islam, the implementation of Islam is at the highest level in the Islamic State, inshallah. Now we will take a look at the delegated assistance. This is the assistant that is appointed by the Khalifa. The Khalifa delegates to him the responsibility to take care of the affairs assigned to him in accordance to his own ijtihad and understanding. During the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Bakr and Umar used to be his two delegated assistants. However, they did not assist in ruling. Ruling was only from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the wahi. The three most important points that we need to understand related to the delegated assistants are the number one is his appointment. The assistant is entrusted with the general examination and deputyship all over the state on behalf of the Khalifa by the Khalifa. Number two, his action or jurisdiction. He's charged with a task in a part of the state. This means the Khilafah is divided into provinces and each delegated assistant's jurisdiction is limited to a certain number of provinces. Number three, transference. The assistant is transferred from one place to another and from one task to another without the need of new deputyship. He's transferred based on his first deputyship for the origin of the deputyship is being a delegated assistant that covers all tasks. Furthermore, the delegated assistant has to inform the Khalifa of all of the activities he's doing and as well as whilst he's executing them. And the Khalifa has a right to either change the direction to correct him or even to stop the execution. Now, since this position carries the, with it the responsibility of ruling, the person qualified for this position must fulfill all of the same qualifications as the Khalifa and must be capable of carrying out the job of the delegated assistant that is assigned to him. Next, we will look at the executive assistants. This is the assistant who helps the Khalifa in execution of matters, the following up and the implementation of his orders. He acts as the intermediary between the Khalifa and the various state departments, citizens, and the foreign office. 
his role is of execution and not of ruling. During the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the Khulafa Rashidun, Rashidin, they were sometimes called al-katib or secretary. The executive assistant is part of the Khalifa's entourage. His task requires contact with Khalifa at, at all hours of the day and night, as well as in seclusion. Due to this, it's one of the things which is not allowed for a Muslim woman to meet with the Khalifa at night or in seclusions. So this position has to be fulfilled by a man, as well as this position can only be fulfilled by a Muslim, and a non-Muslim cannot fulfill this position either. Next, we will look at the provinces and the governors. The Khilafah state is configured in provinces, which are broken down into districts, which are further broken down into metropolis, and the metropolises are broken down into neighborhoods. The leader of the province, as we know, is known as the governor or wali, and the leader of the district is known as the mayor or amil or hakim. The leaders of the metropolis and the neighborhoods are managers and their work is of administration. The work of the governor is of ruling. Thus, the person who fills this position must fulfill the same conditions as the Khalifa. He's appointed by the Khalifa or by the person that the Khalifa gives this responsibility to. The governor can be dismissed by the Khalifa at any time he wants or if a majority of the people in his province or their representatives show discontent with him. Another important point to keep in mind is that the Khalifa can decide to appoint the governor as a general governor over all issues in the province, like Rasulullah did when he appointed Amr bin Hazm over Yemen, or a governor on a specific issue, like Rasulullah did when he appointed Ali bin Abi Talib over judiciary in Yemen. In the coming Khilafah, inshallah, in order to maintain the unity of the Ummah and to protect it from any harm that may come to it in case, in case the taqwa of the governor declines, the military, the judiciary, and the treasury, the economy, they will not be under the authority of the governor. They will be centralized under the direct authority of the Khalifa. Next, we will look at the Amir of Jihad and the military department. Along with it, inshallah, we will also look at the related departments, which are the Department of Internal Security, the Department of Industry, and the Foreign Affairs Department. We need to remember that in addition to implementing the rules of Islam, con conveying the Islamic da'wah is the main function of the Islamic Khilafah state. The military department takes charge of all the issues connected to the armed forces in terms of the military equipment, weapons, facilities, ammunitions, and the like. This is in addition to military academies and military missions and whatever is necessary of Islamic and general culture for the military and everything related to war and the planning of it. The task of sending spies against the belligerent countries is also the role of the military department and there will be a special section for this purpose. The head of the military department is the Amir of Jihad. Department of Internal Security is the next one which we will look at. Its responsibility is all the affairs related to the internal security 
of the state. And it is headed by the Director General of Internal Security. This department would have a branch in each province called the Internal Security Section, which will be headed by the police commissioner. The police commissioner will report to the director of the Department of Internal Security. However, for execution, they will work under the leadership of the governor of the province. The Department of the Internal Security takes charge of maintaining security within the country with the help of the police force. However, if the police requires the help of the army, then a request will be submitted to the Khalifa for that. The police force that are responsible for the security of the rulers, they will be an independent sub-department that answers directly to the Khalifa. During the time of Rasulullah this position was served by Qais ibn Sa'd Next, we look at the Department of Industry. This department takes charge of all the affairs related to the industry. Whether it is related to the heavy industry, like manufacturing of motors, engines, vehicles, or light industry. All factories that have a relationship with the military industries will be based on war policy. This is because jihad and fighting requires an army which requires weapons. Like Rasulullah ordered the building of a catapult during the siege of Taif on the advice of Salman al-Farsi In order that these weapons be of the highest caliber and readily available, it is necessary to have an industry within the state. Therefore, the, his, the state will have factories for producing all types of heavy and light weapons, like guns, nuclear weapons, rockets, satellites, planes, tanks, submarines, motors, naval ships, spaceships, the armored vehicles, and more. In addition to this, within the state, there will be various types of factories and businesses that are needed for the Ummah to live a good quality of life. We now look at the Department of Foreign Affairs. We have many examples from Rasulullah where he managed the foreign affairs of the Islamic State. This department is responsible for all foreign affairs pertaining to the relation of the Khilafah state with other states. Whether they are related to the political aspect, like the forming of pacts, peace treaties, ceasefires, negotiations, appointing ambassadors, sending messengers and delegates, and establishing embassies or consulates, or they are related to trade and economy, agriculture, or have to do with postal services, or wired or wireless communication, and more. Let us turn our attention to administrative system now. The running of the government's and people's affairs is carried out by offices, departments, and administrations whose task is to ensure the management of the state's business and taking care of the people's needs. Rasulullah used to run and discharge the affairs of the people himself, and in some cases, he used to appoint secretaries for, these, for their administration. Like education, he وسلم, made the ransom of disbelieving prisoners of war the teaching of 10 Muslim children. Healthcare, he وسلم, was given a doctor as a gift, but he assigned him to Muslims. Employment, he وسلم, directed a man to buy rope 
than an axe and co collect firewood and sell it rather than begging people. Number four, roads. He وسلم, organized the roads at his time by making the road of seven arms in case of dispute. In the coming Khilafah state, inshallah, we will have a very comprehensive administrative structure. Since the administrative system does not have a responsibility of ruling anyone who holds the citizenship of the Khilafah state and is competent to do this job, be they man or woman, be they Muslim or non-Muslim, they are eligible to be appointed as a director of any of these departments or to be an employee in it. Furthermore, the administrative system will be based on three major principles. And these principles are our brothers and sisters who live in the Muslim world or even in other parts of the world, even in this country, you can realize the importance of these because we suffer almost every time we engage with these departments. How important these factors are. First, the simplicity of the system, which would lead to the ease of processing. Number two, the speed in processing the transactions, which would spare people of unnecessary delays, no long lines to, to, to basically file a bill. Number three, the ability and competence of the employees, most, one of the most important factors. This is required to perfect the performance and the result of the tasks that they are carrying out. Next, we will turn our attention briefly to the Baitul Mal or the Treasury. Baitul Mal can be divided into two main divisions, revenues and expenditures. Revenues which consist of three departments, booties, public property, and sadaka, And the expenditures which consist of eight departments. Inshallah, Brother Ayman will cover them in more details in his talk titled Building an Economic Superpower. Now we'll take a brief look at the judicial structure of Islam. The judiciary is responsible for delivering the verdict for the purpose of implementation, of enforcing it. At the time of Rasulullah he was himself in charge of the judiciary and would judge between people. Also in some cases, he would appoint judges. Like we stated earlier, he appointed Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu, to, as a judge over the people of Yemen. In the Khilafah state, we will have three types of courts. Qadi Muhtasib, who is in charge of settling any breach of law that may harm the interest of the community or the property. This court proactively looks into issues. So you don't need somebody to file a case. It proactively looks into issues. They deal with issues of trade, internal or external, environment and anti-social behavior. Qadi of Madhalim, who oversees settling disputes between the people and the state. This court has the right also to investigate cases even if no complaint has been filed. They deal with constitutional law, the government's financial issues, as well as the government officials issues. Number three is the Qadi or the regular court in charge of settling dispute between people over issues like family law, contract law, criminal law. So the brothers and sisters who are interested in learning about law, this is what our judicial structure would look like. And we should study these in detail. Now the person who takes the position of judge must be a Muslim, must be free, 
mature, sane, just, and a faqih, and aware of how to apply the Islamic rulings to the reality. As for the person who takes up the judiciary of Mazalim, in addition to the conditions mentioned, he must also be a male and a mujtahid, just like the chief just, because this post is of both judiciary and ruling, for he judges over the ruler and executes the sharia upon him. Qadi Hisba and Qadi can be men or women. For example, during the time of the Khilafah of Umar radiallahu anhu, he had appointed Umm Sulaiman ibn Abi Haythama radiallahu anha as one of the Qadi of Hisba. We will now take a look at the Department of Information or the Media Department. Information is one of the most important matters for Da'wah and for the Islamic State. This department reports directly to the Khalifa as an independent organization. The department, the presence of a very unique information policy that presents Islam strongly and effectively would provoke the minds of the people to turn towards Islam and to study and think of it. The Department of Information will have two main divisions. The first, it is related to news that has connection with the state, such as the military matters, the military industry, and the international relations. The task of this department is the direct supervision of such news. So such news is not broadcasted in the state media or the private sources of media, except after review with the Department of Information. The second is related to other news, like scientific, cultural, international news, etc. And its supervision of them is not direct. The state sources of media and the private sources of media do not need any permission for publishing such news. Furthermore, if a person like you and I want to set up a media station, then we do not need any permission. Rather, every citizen in the Islamic State Muslim or non-Muslim, men or women, is allowed to set, it, set up a media broadcasting station. However, we must inform the Department of Information. Also, in all cases, the owner of the media station is responsible and accountable for the information we publish. So there, nobody can shoot from the hips, as they say, and make things up, because everybody will be accountable and responsible. Now we turn towards Majlis al-Ummah. This is a topic which many times we hear a lot of different positions about or points about, and in, to a certain extent, there is a lot of confusion in the minds of the Muslim about the Majlis al-Ummah. So we will spend a little more time on this subject as well. This is a council that is formed by individuals representing the opinion of the Muslims at large, to which the Khalifa can refer to for consultation. They in turn are representatives of the Ummah in holding the rulers accountable. Now Rasulullah used to consult with some men from the Ansar and Muhajireen who represented their people. He وسلم, also assigned some of his Sahaba for Shura. He used to refer to them more to, than to others like Abu Bakr, Omar, Hamza, Ali, Salman al-Farsi and Hudayfa Ridwanullah alayhi ajma'een. Please note that this is not a position of ruling. Thus, the Council of Ummah is not like the Senate or the Parliament of today, which makes laws. The Majlis al-Ummah neither makes laws, which in Islam 
even the Khalifa doesn't do. Because the ruling, the legislation, only belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also, the Majlis al-Umma does not adopt law for the state. The laws for the state can only be adopted by the rulers, like the Khalifa, the delegated assistants, and the governors. The members of the Majlis can be men and women. They can be Muslim as well as non-Muslim citizens. For the non-Muslim citizens, however, their domain is limited to bringing complaints against any injustice perpetrated against them by the rulers or against any misimplementation of Islam on them or the lack of services being provided to them. Furthermore, the members of the Ummah Council are elected in the Khilafah state. Now there are two councils of the Ummah. One is for each wilaya. So every wilaya will have the, a council of the Ummah to, to actually advise and hold the governor of the province accountable. And then there will be an Ummah council for the Khalifa to advise and hold the Khalifa accountable. The way the elections will be carried out is the citizens of each province will first elect the members of the province's Ummah council or the province's council. And then the members of the province, each province's council will from amongst themselves elect one member to be pressed or a member to become part of the Khalifa's Ummah Council. And this same process will be followed by the non-Muslim citizens to elect their representatives. Now, this is the most important aspect, which is the powers that this council has. This is where a lot of confusion has been created intentionally so that the Muslims actually would legitimize the rules that are being implemented on us by the colonial powers. Number one, the Khalifa may, may consult the council and the council has the right to advise him in matters and actions that do not require specialized information. And the opinion of the council in these matters is binding to the Khalifa. Number two, in matters that require specialized information, these are taken from subject matter experts. Additionally, matters related to finance, military, and foreign policy, which the Khalifa has the right to decide in accordance with his opinion and ijtihad, they are not within the powers of the Council of the Ummah. The Khalifa has the right to refer to the Council for consultation and to familiarize himself with its opinion. However, the opinion of the Council is not binding. Number three, the opinion of the council is not sought regarding legislation, regarding laws. The legislation is rather taken from the kitab of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the sunnah of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and through the uh, valid and strong ijtihad. Number four, the council of the ummah has the right to hold the khalifa accountable on all matters. If the council and the khalifa dis disagreed about a matter, then it would be referred to Mahmat al-Madhalim or the Court of Injust Acts, and their verdict is binding on both parties. Number five, the Council of the Ummah has the right to express discontent towards the assistants, the governors, or the mayors. Its opinion in such a case would be binding, 
and the Khalifa should dismiss them at once. Number six, the Muslim members of the council have the right to restrict the nomination of candidates for the Khilafah from amongst those decided by Mahmoud al-Madhalim and their opinion is binding in this matter. Now this is the overview of the institutions of the Khilafah state, each aspect of which has detailed evidences from the Quran and the Sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam from the wahi that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent down to humanity. However, due to time constraints today, we could not go in length in the, in the evidences. However, please do refer to our books online, which are available for free. We do hope that this presentation related to the overview of the Khilafah system would strengthen our Iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who has sent to all of humanity a very clear and just system of ruling and of life. We need to understand that this matter of the Khilafah is actually the most important matter for the whole Muslim Ummah. It is a fard on the Muslim Ummah to work to re-establish the Khilafah so we can remove the sin from our necks of living under the rule of all others, be they kingships, democracies, dictatorships, socialist values, any and every type of rule other than the rule of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Once we have re-established Islam with its ruling system of Khilafah, we will bring the true mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this earth, and we will once again become the beacon of justice and peace for all humanity. It is the system of mercy that both the Muslims and non-Muslims of the world are waiting for. Even the people in Ukraine and Russia and Europe, they are waiting for this system of mercy to come back to life. Along with the people in the Muslim world, people in Latin America, all over the globe, even in this country, the United States where we live, in the city of Chicago, they are waiting for this system of mercy to come back. And you and I, we, the Muslims, are the ones who have this, who carry this, who are supposed to bring it back. And we do not... And we do not need anyone's permission because the permission has been given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Khalik of all. And Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu in tansurullah yansurukum wa yuthabbit aqdamakum. He says, O oh, you who believe, if you support Allah, He will support you and plant firmly your feet. Ya Allah, we answer your call. So help us in this life and grant us Jannah in the life to come and forgive our shortcomings. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadwanna la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik. Jazakumullah khair wa assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran tafsir, and sirah are available at islampodcasts.com 
as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment, and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about IslamPodcast.com.